Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man What's up, freebies? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, athletic gerbils? What's up, men's baseball fans? It's really catching on. A lot of people are responding to me with uh, men's baseball, and it's pretty funny. I'm enjoying it a lot. You know what else I'm enjoying? The first week of men's baseball. Very exciting. I finally got to catch some games. I watched a little bit of Cleveland. I watched uh, some Philly games. I also watched... Cubs versus Brewers. Pretty exciting shit. Pretty excited about it in general. Guess what else I did? I played baseball. For the first time this season, I played two games. I played from 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. on the nose. It was great. I am really beat up. I got myself with my own cleats quite a bit. Got some serious bruises. Uh, ripped some skin off my knee. And look, I'm back. I'm back, baby. I got a baseball haircut and I got some uh, some wraparounds. I'm feeling good about it. You know, just feeling good about it. I've had a hard time getting back into the swing of the season. All the free agency stuff and all the like businessy financey stuff. Boy, oh boy, is that not fun? You know, that'll really get you. But something that's been something that I didn't um, didn't occur to me in the last episode but has since occurred to me is that there has not been that I'm aware of any controversy with a player and um, any like current domestic violence um, or other issues like that. We still have some uh, carryover from the hater stuff because, and the domestic violence from last season and the seasons prior with players who have had those issues and it's difficult to watch them play. But um, I would say that, you know, to me, the problem with all of them is the handling of the issue. That's what it kind of always comes down to. You know, it's like all anybody is asking is for someone to take some responsibility for their actions because words are actions, too. Uh, when you tweet them out, those are actions. That's a thing. You had to press a button, you know. Um, and while I don't think it's excusable to say someone was young, um, you could say I was young I'm not young now, and I realize the impact that my words have um, still, even if they're from the past. And dismissing it as silly is a problem. 
So I think that's all anybody was looking for, really. Um, and you don't get that. And then you see a bunch of people rallying to that person's side. Um, and then it's like, it's hard to watch that guy pitch. You know what I mean? I'm talking about a hater in this situation. Because uh, it's like, what are they cheering for? But, you know, I can't control everybody's reactions or wants or needs or happiness um, as much as I want to. Um, so I, they just have to cheer for what they want to cheer for. But if he would have apologized in a way that made sense, you know, um, somebody else that is apologizing in a way that doesn't make sense, which, in fact, was never really an apology to begin with, um, uh, presidential possibly hopeful uh, Joe Biden um, saying he stands by everything he's ever done. Um, and then also, you know, saying his intentions were fine. So who cares? You know, that's kind of, that's not how those things are done. You know, you take responsibility for something, you spend some time on it, you take some responsibility, you see what your part was in it and you take responsibility for it. Um, if, if that guy is somebody that is a champion of women, I would think he would maybe take a second and come up with something better than hey, the culture has changed because that's just not. Yeah, the culture's changed and nobody's putting up with it anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. <laughs> so, I mean, the culture's changed and like it's not cute for uh, young guys to um, pretend white supremacy. You know what I mean? It's just not it's not cute. Never was cute. I mean, it might have been cute to some white people. You know what I mean? Um, but I think other people have different opinions on that. So my whole point is <laughs> that stuff's not going on. And one of the big things in my life these days is that I try not to bring bad stuff up if it's not happening. And I kind of did exactly the opposite of that. But, you know, look, I wanted to point out that we're kind of in a moment right now of a little bit of happiness. So maybe we could all just spend a moment enjoying it, you know? I want to also give a shout out real quick to the beginning at the beginning of this episode to uh, Nate DeMeo's Memory Palace, also known as the Memory Palace. Sorry, Nate, that uh, he sent me directly the most recent episode, uh, which is about Jackie M Mitchell, um, who was made famous at age uh, 17 for striking out Babe Ruth. Uh, on five pitches. He got caught looking. Something we also forget, which is kind of lost to time because Babe Ruth was the slightly bigger deal. Um, she also struck out Lou Gehrig. So it's a great episode and I don't want to give too much away. But um, uh, man, I was walking while I was listening to it. It's about 13 minutes long. So it's not going to take up too much of your time. And here's the thing. If you like three swings, then you'll like the memory palace. It's a wonderful show. And, uh, Nate is a wonderful podcaster. He's been doing it for quite some time. And it was a podcast that, I mean, I got into podcasts in like 2009. Um, they were happening before then. I'm not trying to act like I, whatever, but it's been a minute, you know, I was like into it. And that was one of my first shows that really, uh, changed the way I looked at the form, you know, and I just found his, his, his take and approach to be so fantastic. And if I could, I would make this show that, but I can't. So I don't. <laughs> so you should listen to the Jackie Mitchell episode. Uh, it's a wonderful story. And there's a moment that I was out walking my dog Murph and listening to that podcast. And I was so overwhelmed with emotion because um, the end of it, you know, sort of 
describe something that I've been describing in different words with personal experience or firsthand experience. Um, he describes it in such a, such a just full way. It was wonderful to hear it as opposed to say it. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think it does. It probably does. It, it was wonderful to hear it as opposed to only be saying it. So I really dug it. Also just a line about Jackie Mitchell, uh, the five pitch sequence that made her, that defined her life. Um, such a, such a powerful, oof, boy, if you like baseball and you're, and you're a woman, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's, the thing is, it's not confined to that, you know, um, boy, that'll really get you. So before I get into like the real show of it, I'm going to talk about fantasy because some people are responding to that pretty good, mostly by saying like, I've wanted to get into fantasy, but your talk about it makes me realize I probably shouldn't. So it's a PSA really. Um, so I'm in two fantasy leagues. I thought I was going to be in three. I'm grateful that I'm only in two. One is a categories league. The other is a head to head points league, head to head points league. I had to auto draft and, uh, famously drafted, the top three closers because I had the 10th pick in the draft and I didn't mess with my list at all because I honestly just was kind of like letting go of it because last year I made a huge mistake and then letting go of it drafted me a terrible team. Um, I don't think I've, I've got a handful of, well, I've kept most of my pitchers because there's nobody left. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I kind of, I've had the same team name for two years and now I've changed it to uh higher power H I R E P O W E R because I kind of like, it's just not this, it's just not the same. And I don't, I really don't want to be the kind of person that I used to be, which is like quitting, giving up, just going like, well, fuck this. Um, cause that's like silly, but I also, I'm just kind of like, I don't, this isn't fun for me. Um, it's like so much work in a way that isn't fun because everybody's got better players and I can't, there's nobody else to pick up, you know, it's the beginning of the season. Like I, I don't, I don't really have any, I mean, who knows? Like, look, I'm not giving fully up, but I just, I can't be on the app all the time trying to find the next guy that's in the back end of the rotation. Who's going to throw eight K's, you know, it's just like, I, uh, it's not. It's not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling me in a way that it used to be because it was exciting to find those spots. But I I legit like I, the rest of my lineup is bad. It's terrible. Um, And now Luis Severino's out. So like all of the stars that I got were all I, I had all injured players and I have injury prone players. So and I have Raphael Devers, who was supposed to be this breakout star and he's done nothing. So I've held on to these people that were maybe going to do this thing. I mean, I picked up Beckham. I picked up Healy. I, I have Alex Bregman. I believe that he'll break out. Cause like, I just think that guy, it's impossible for him to not. Um, cause that's not the kind of player that he is. I'm also noticing how much I'm saying, um, which I just want to apologize to everybody for. Cause that drives me crazy. When, that drives me wild when people do that. My categories league is considerably better. It was an auction draft, which is the first time I've ever done that. And if you're not aware, I don't totally know how it works, but you get everybody has the same amount of money and your picks are putting somebody on the block to 
basically bid on. So I quickly, with the 20 minutes I had before the draft started, like did a little bit of research about it. And it was basically like, you have to go in with a plan. And I was like, well, I don't have that. So I essentially went, get the best outfielders in the game and get two pitchers, get two pitchers that you think are going to be good this year. And so I drafted Mookie Betts, Christian, Christian Yelich was my first, no, Mookie Betts was my first, Christian Yelich was my third, Bryce Harper was my, or my second, Bryce Harper was my third, Cody Bellinger was in there somewhere, I paid $1 more for him than Goldschmidt went for, and obviously that's paid off, and we'll talk more about him a little bit later, and then Jacob deGrom and Trevor Bauer, because as much as I don't like Trevor Bauer, he throws a lot of heat. So deGrom is paying off, Bauer is paying off, and then I've sort of filled out the rest of my spots with whatever I can get. And it's pretty decent. I have T- Tatis, catcher who gives a shit. Um, first base is pretty deep, so I got Ryan Healy over there too. I like to double up on fantasy players. So in both leagues, I'll try to get the same guys as early as I can because they tend, it tends to pay off both ways. So it's convenient. And then you know what you're looking for when you're watching roundups and stuff. So anyway, the categories league, I swept my first matchup 10 to nothing. This most recent matchup is a little worse for where my pitching isn't as solid. DeGrom hasn't pitched yet. So we'll see about that. I also am just kind of like, in it to have fun actually, which is weird because I really like to win, but I'm trying to let go of that. Cause like winning isn't everything, man. And I made some mistakes living my life that way. And I've recently, you know, tried to make some uh, changes around that and had some positive, had positivity come my way briefly, but still nonetheless, and I've done my part. So that's kind of all that you can really do. Um, And so I'm going to do my part and do an ad read after this, but please come right back because we've got so much three swings for you. All right, we're back. Big shout out to bench coach Brett. Number one, he drafted so well in the fantasy league. He did such a great job, picked up my former dude, Blake Snell, who has outperformed any projection that anybody could have had. I will also say... Jesus Christ, did I not say in an episode two or three ago, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Philadelphia Phillies, MLB Network, whatever, they're just now saying, oh, about the Rays, this is a a postseason team. Yeah, no shit. I told you that three weeks ago. You guys never listened to me. I say guys, there are women on that network, but watch most of the commercials. It's only the men. So, bench coach Brett, great job. You're probably going to win this year, I think. He wants me to start out with the hot starts. What do I think of these hot starts, for real or not for long? Cody Bellinger is hitting 455 with a slugging percentage of 489 and then an on-base percentage of 1.023. Is that right? Slash lines. <laughs> I think I'm... I think I've got it. Uh, He's got seven home runs in 10 games and 18 RBI. He's leading the NL in batting average home runs and RBI. He's made adjustments to his swing. He's patient in the box and he's just hitting the damn ball. He's got a lot of power. He's a huge dude. He's also playing very well in the field. He's got a cannon of an arm 
And if he was at first base, he'd be getting a gold glove this year, but he's not. So he probably won't. Um, I, this is a tough one for me to predict there, there, he, this number, this can't, he will regress, you know, he will regress. But the question is, does he regress into a slump? And that is one that I can't necessarily predict because Dave Roberts tendency to keep people in their lineup spot and not move them down is what makes me worry about him hitting a slump because you leave a guy in the third or the fourth spot who's 0 for 8, 0 for 10, 0 for 12. It doesn't give them a chance to calm down and they, they feel the weight of it and they don't watch a bunch of runs score before they get up to bat. And then they feel like they still have to do what they haven't been doing and it's difficult. So I think I think he's for real in terms of production this year. Like, I think he'll be their main source of production, but I don't know whether he'll get stuck in a slump or just regress to sort of normal, you know, like a 310 average, which is crazy that I'm, which is nuts that I'm even saying that's normal. It's not normal. It's great. And then we've got Tim Beckham from Seattle. He's their shortstop. He uh, exited the game with some hamstring tightness. A bunch of guys getting hamstring tightness from sliding these days. So, What's up with that? All of a sudden, Tim Beckham's slash line is 400, 489, and 825. He's got four home runs and 11 RBI. He's one uh, one of the major reasons for Seattle's hot start. Beckham is showing increased plate discipline this year and swinging at fewer pitches out of the strike zone than usual. His strikeout rate is down and walk rate is up, which is obviously very positive. And he's got only eight strikeouts in 44 plate appearances. Um, I think he's due for regression. He's been injured. I don't think Seattle can keep this up, but I also think they can. I'm not trying to hedge any bets here, but just because they don't have the word Astros across their jersey doesn't mean it's not going to keep happening. The Astros did similar shit in 2017, you know, and no one, everyone was like, oh, of course. Now Seattle's doing it and people are like, well, I don't know about this. Now it could just be that sort of Northwestern, uh, Pacific Northwestern vibe of like, most of us are from the Midwest, so we doubt this will keep going on. But uh, I think he can keep it. He he hit well in an Orioles uniform, but he, he did strike out a lot. So you get patience and discipline at the plate, and you keep these numbers. That's the same thing with Cody Bellinger. He was jumping out of his shoes to hit a home run, and now he's not. So he's hitting home runs. It's kind of as simple as that. But... Human brains are very wild machines and they can do things you don't want them to do every now and then. So that's kind of the issue, you know, is your manager going to work with your brain and help you work it out? That's, that's my big concern. So on to the slow starts. What do I think of these slow starts? Are they for real or not for long? We've got the Chicago Cubs who through Sunday, the Cubs were two and seven and their pitchers had issued 53 walks and 20 home runs. My Lord. Uh, in 74 and a third innings for a combined 7.5 ERA. And on Monday, they clobbered the Pirates 10 to nothing in their home opener, but John Lester, who has the highest batting average in of any Cub, left in the third inning with hamstring soreness, which is bad news for the Cubs because he's their main starter. They did clobber the Pirates. They did beat the Brewers with a bunch of home runs. Most of those home runs came from Jason Hayward. So we'll see. I mean, it's kind of a shock, but 
look, man, these places are not spending money on arms for bullpens. And bullpens win championships. And you need them to get to the championship. You don't just buy them in October. But this is where the whole finance of all of it comes in, where it's only about the money. It's only about the notebook, the balance sheet. And it's not about who's playing the game. It's not about the team. It's not about anything. It's about how much money do we have? How much money can we keep? How little can we give away? And it's gross. And it's showing up in the Cubs' performance. It really is. I truly believe that's what it is because they've got all the same pieces. They've got a ton of great players, but you don't give them anything except for, you know, like a fancy clubhouse that looks like, you know, a club that they would give you free vodka in or something. Um, you don't you don't bring them new pieces. It wears you out and they seem worn out. They seem a little lost at the plate and they seem worn out. You they're you are relying on the offense now. I was thinking when I was driving the other day how difficult it makes it on your pitching staff to rely on them to win games, to only put up one run, two runs, and not produce runs for your pitchers. The same goes for your offense, that your pitchers are giving up runs and they have to produce offense that they cannot produce because the opposing pitching is better. It's mentally draining. I mean, I'm tired talking about it. So I can imagine if this was my job, I would be pretty exhausted by the end of the day. The Cincinnati Reds also have a super slow start. They had a busy offseason, but it remains to be seen how all the moves will play out. They acquired some big names, Yasiel Puig. I'm very sad about that. Matt Kemp, Sonny Gray, and Tanner Roark. But Puig and Kemp are a combined 5 for 52 without a home run. Gray has had one terrible start and one good one. Leadoff hitter Jesse Winker is hitting... 0.042. Joey Votto has one home run and one RBI. Eugenio Suarez is hitting under 200. So what I said preseason for fantasy, fill your lineup with Reds hitters, was totally wrong. Fill your lineup with Rays hitters is what I should have said. If you're if Yandy Diaz is free is a free agent in your league, pick him up. If anybody on the Rays is free in your league, pick them up right now. Period. Except for maybe Mike Zanino. He's not the most productive catcher. I think this lasts for a while. Cincinnati has had not great seasons. And they have no impetus to win. They can fight the Pirates. And that's all they need. You know, it's unfortunate. But they're not getting, you know, championship pieces. And I just, you know, something's missing. It doesn't seem like anything that's going to happen. Um And then we've got specific players, Aaron Judge and Ronald Acuna Jr., who's even since writing these notes have heated up a little bit. Um, These two early favorites for AL and NL MVP have had relatively slow starts. Judge with two home runs, six RBI, and 16 Ks and 42 plate appearances. And Acuna Jr. is batting 129, 289, and 323 with two home runs, four RBI, and 40 plate appearances. But he does have seven walks to six Ks. So I think that... Each will turn it around because they're surrounded by hitters. Dansby Swanson is hitting. Johan Camargo is going to be probably coming in. Uh, Nick Markakis hits the ball well. You know, I think uh, the Yankees have brought up Clint Frazier and that dude rakes. You've got Gary Sanchez, who's not generally playing well, still crushing home runs. Um, And DJ LeMahieu coming in for Andy Harb, who I also had in my fantasy league, who's got a labrum tear 
And like, that's just like, I'll see you later. That's I, you can't, I, I just don't see somebody coming back from that in the same season in, in a productive way, in a fantasy baseball league way. I'd be happy to see him come back as a human, but as a fantasy baseball thing, that's you're done. That's over. You're not going to produce with that. Those things are serious. So, I, I mean, I think they both have a lot of potential to heat back up, but I don't know if the MVP is in the, in the mix for that. I think somebody from Seattle will be on the board. I think Christian Yelich, I think Bryce Harper, I think Blake Snell. Um, who in the American League would I pick right now if I had to? Mike Trout, I guess. That's probably who I would say, you know? Um, yeah, those would be my picks right now for who's going to be on the board. It's a super easy one with Mike Trout <laughs> this year. Um, and speaking of Mike Trout, Mike Trout finally won the AL MV or the AL player of the week. He he hadn't won it in like two seasons or something like that. It's some some bonkers number. Um, in last week's Angels Rangers series, Mike Trout had one of the best series by anyone ever. He was six for eleven with five home runs and six walks, contributing to a two point six three one on on base percentage, the third highest OBS in a four game series in MLB history, minimum 15 plate appearances. The highest ever was 3.11 by Babe Ruth in June, 1921 against the Tigers. He was eight for 12 with six home runs and six walks in that series at the polo grounds. He also started and won a game on the mound, striking out Ty Cobb. The second highest OPS ever was 2.850 by Mickey Mantle in July, 1962 against the A's as he launched five homers and walked six times. Mike Trout is baseball. Everybody was talking about that contract he just signed. I was only surprised because I thought maybe there's a chance he'd go to Philly, but he wants to be an angel for life. All right, cool, man. I mean, I do think it'd be weird to see him in any other jersey at this point. And like, I respect that. And also that guy getting paid the most ever for a professional athlete. Absolutely. Have you ever seen him play baseball? He's really good at it. He's baseball. He's super good at baseball. So happy to see him get paid. Um, I, people were like, oh, nobody knows who he is. Like, I don't give a shit. Do you know Do you know how many billionaires there are that we don't know who they are? There's a lot. This guy, more people know who this guy is than most billionaires are. So I don't care if you know who Mike Trout is when you go to the mall. I do. That's more than nobody. And a lot of people do. So shut up. You don't know enough about baseball. And if you... If you're a baseball person and you're like going to say, oh, nobody knows who Mike Trout is, so he shouldn't get paid. You don't like baseball. I'm just going to I never like to tell anybody what they love or what they think of it. But that's what you're doing. And that's not what baseball is all about. So if you have shit to say about Mike Trout, you should look yourself in the mirror and question whether you really love baseball. I question your devotion to Sparkle Motion. So some sad news. Chris Davis since writing these notes has since surpassed the MLB record of uh hitless at bats streak. He's now 0 for 47. Um it's a real a real bummer for this guy. Um he's 0 for 23 this season with 13 strikeouts. So 10 of those are flyouts. Um, and I watched a lot of them. He's not, he's hitting the ball. He's just hitting it right to somebody. So Chris Davis, I think is unfortunately a, a victim of the fly ball revolution. When you teach somebody to hit it in the air, 
and then they don't have the other pieces of directional situational hitting, Chris Davis is what you get. And he's just hitting the ball directly to the outfielders. And it's sad, you know, like, I mean, people are saying poor Chris Davis. Well, he does, he is getting paid a lot of money. And we were just talking about Mike Trout getting paid a lot of money. I mean, I don't know. You've got to feel bad no matter what, no matter how much money you're getting paid. If you can't do your job and you're trying, that's a terrible feeling. So it's not fun to watch, you know? Um, he was too shy of the record for consecutive hitless at-bats by a position player. Um, and he's since eclipsed that. And that was the Los Angeles Dodgers infielder Eugenio Velez, who went hitless in his final 46 at-bats of the 2011 season. One more than the previous mark shared by Bill Bergen of Pittsburgh in 1909. And D- Dave Campbell of San Diego and St. Louis, 1973. And Craig Council of Milwaukee earlier in 2011. So, Chris Davis, I look forward to your almost going to the World Series managerial (laughs) run. Um, And, man, here's the thing about Chris Davis, though. When he gets a hit, it's going to be pretty good, you know? So, we'll be right back with a little more baseball. All right, so a little bit of this, uh, a little more political shit. Um, the White House blocked the MLB's Cuban agreement, which is a big surprise. Um, honestly, like I don't know, I think it's a, it's only a surprise in that like this is pretty a pretty Republican sport, and a lot of the people who are at the top ranks of this who would want this agreement to go through spend a lot of money on Donald Trump. They give him a lot of money just in general for access, you know, at Mar-a-Lago, also just straight up in the White House. And they kind of tell him what to do. So I'm sure that he read the word Cuba and just said, no, that's probably the effect of that. Um, Because this guy is not a chess master. Uh, This week, the Trump administration blocked Major League Baseball's historic agreement with the Cuban Baseball Federation, arguing that the sports governing body is part of the Cuban government and that the agreement violates United States trade law. Now, this is getting dangerously close to talking about people as objects, as if we haven't already been doing that in baseball. Perhaps that's something we might want to look into. Players Union, the agreement uh, from last December... Uh, The MLB and the MLB Players Association announced an agreement with the Cuban Baseball Federation similar to those for players under contract to clubs in Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. Under the four-month-old agreement, a major league club seeking to sign Cuban players would have to pay a release fee, 25% over the player's signing bonus, to the federation. The player would also have to pay Cuban income taxes on foreign earnings. The MLB's stated objective with this agreement was to end the defection of players and erase the human trafficking of Cuban players that has become the standard as they attempt to join the MLB with Reds outfielder Yasiel Puig, White Sox first baseman Jose Abreu, and Mets outfielder Jonas Cespedes among those whose harrowing journeys were cited. For years, uh, quote, for years, Major League Baseball has been seeking to end the trafficking of baseball players from Cuba by criminal organizations by creating a safe and legal alternative for those players to sign with Major League clubs. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred said in a 
December 19 statement announcing the deal. We believe that this agreement accomplishes that objective and will allow the next generation of Cuban players to pursue their dream without enduring many of the hardships experienced by current and former Cuban players who have played Major League Baseball. The Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control a foreign assets control sent a letter to MLB last Friday that said, quote, payments to the Cuban Baseball Federation are not authorized because a payment to the Cuban Baseball Federation is a payment to the Cuban government. The letter, end quote, the letter is consistent with the administration's reversal of other Obama era policies that were intended to soften relations between the U.S. and Cuba. National Security Advisor John Bolton has become the administration's primary mouthpiece for this reversal, claiming that a connection exists between money paid to the Cuban Baseball Federation by the MLB and military and intelligence support provided to Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro by the Cuban government, tweeting, tweeting, quote, America's national pastime should not enable the Cuban regime's support for Maduro in Venezuela, end quote. Convenient how they're politicizing this in this particular way. Without a deal in place, the longstanding policy of players seeking residence in a third country could return. If players establish residence in a third country, they can petition OFAC, Office of Foreign Assets Control, to receive a specific license that would allow them to play in the USA in the U.S. That would allow them to play in the U.S. A number of players seeking transportation to a third country have been shepherded by smugglers with gang affiliations and agents familiar with with the Cuban player market and agents familiar with the Cuban player market said the dangers that could have abated with the agreement will remain. And I would say will probably now be worse because that is what we have seen at the border. Once again, using policy as a fulcrum to create crises that did not exist, but or existed in different ways previous to the new agreement is exactly what this regime does. And they bring other factors into it which are not on the table. Because by this logic, then you could argue that the MLB is therefore part of our national security and also our military. And you know what? It is. So to me, this like showed the cards of that pretty plainly. They believe the Cuban Baseball Federation to be part of the Cuban government because they know that the Major League Baseball organization is part of the American government. So perhaps that's what we should be talking about after this. Um, I also think any end to human trafficking or any work against it is positive. And this is incredibly unfortunate because the stories of these players coming here to play a sport that they're gifted and have worked hard to play uh, is harrowing and terrible. And smuggling human beings is never going to fully go away. But if we can do something to lessen it that's uh probably a positive thing in the grand scheme of the world (sighs) so anyway that's a real sad but predictable bummer um so let's like hey the whole military influence in um baseball is rearing its ugly head here with the cuban agreement and because this is a podcast about sports and life and all those kinds of feelings 
Just want to give a shout out to another thrilling NCAA Women's Basketball Championship. I was not able to watch it, unfortunately. But Baylor outlasted Notre Dame 82-81 to on Sunday night to win the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship, the third in school history. Last year's March Madness hero, Arike Ugambale, scored 31 points but missed a potential game-tying free throw in the closing seconds. Heartbreaking. Following the game, Ugambale, a senior, received an overwhelming outpouring of support online with many acknowledging uh, with many acknowledging her groundbreaking contributions to women's college basketball and gender equity in sports just one example of her influence after last year's thrilling final four in which Ogumbale hit back-to-back game winners to knock out Yukon and Mississippi State this year's championship game saw an 11% spike in television viewership, drawing around 3 million viewers and outperforming men's professional games in many local markets. I happened to go play billiards with a friend Friday night when Notre Dame was playing UConn. And I was there uh, by myself for a moment and the TVs were on and there was a basketball arena that the lights were turned down and everybody had all those like glow sticks and there were lights and then they were showing all these people cheering. And the first thought in my head based on my life experience was, man, how great would it be if women got to experience this? And then I kept watching it and I realized it was the women's game. And I thought, wow, that's a change. I, I, women do get to experience it. Holy shit. And so that's what I think about when people start talking shit. I just ignore it because they're assholes and I'm not going to change their mind. What they want is for me to be mad and I don't want to be mad anymore. So I'm going to look at what I see, which is people enjoy women's basketball. And that's great. Arike changed the game for sure. Huge, 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 huge. I mean, her face was everywhere. Those shots were everywhere. You'll see those for 10 years. Those back-to-back game winners, you will see those for years. No one will forget. Muffet McGraw had a mouthpiece because of that person. It's... it's sh- that that person made a difference and it's heartbreaking to miss a game tying shot to give your team a chance but she also changed the whole thing you know and Yukon changed the whole thing i don't care if they lose they're still Yukon they'll be Yukon forever it'll ne- that'll never change so thank you to everybody that sent in some rosin bags i'm excited about it i hope more people send them in Oh, and I just wanted to let everybody know I've got some tour dates coming up at the end of May. I want to give you time ahead of time. I'll be in Nashville, Huntsville, Birmingham, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, then Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I think it's the 22nd through the 24th. So please, those tickets are on my website, riabutcher.com slash live dates. So on to the rosin bag. So we've got RJ Silva. Hi, what's your go-to glove and bat this season? My go-to glove and bat this season are my go-to glove and bat from last season. I've got a Rawlings um, iWeb. It's 11 and a half. It is an infielder glove, a middle infielder glove, but on my hand it works just as good at third base and in right field. Although if I would have had an outfielder's glove, I would have caught that sinking fly ball that I was tracking and dove for and just barely missed. So, you know, I might get an outfielder glove this season just to have it. I had one for a little bit and I don't know what happened to it. I had a children's uh, Bryce Harper glove that I, I don't know what happened to it. Um, and I'm also still rocking my, uh, Rowling's, uh, 
maple, hard maple, uh, 32-inch bat with a 3-inch drop, solid bat, no cup. And I also just bought a 33-inch ash bat because those are considerably lighter. And I needed a lighter bat and almost went with a 31 and was like, no, you need a lighter, longer bat. That's what you need to do at the beginning of the season and then go back to your 32 that's heavier, bigger, and harder to get around, but a little bit shorter. So that's my method this year uh, because I'm not hitting as good as I was, but I will. So I'm not worried about it. It's the beginning of the season and I just have to get back in my rhythm and I'm on a new team. So that's changes everything too. Uh, Music Beth says, I apologize if you've answered this already. Never apologize. New listener. Thank you. Who are my favorite players as a kid? Great question. Kenny Lofton, Omar Vizquel. Big fan, big, big fan. And then I I really loved, Sid Bream was like my first favorite player. <laughs> I watched a lot of Atlanta games. And so then uh, after the 87 season, him coming around third, it was, you know, it was the the pre-package for every game. So I just really liked that guy. And I always liked mustaches, you know. I, I think they're very attractive. I also think I want one. Um, and so in that same respect, Corey Snyder, one of my favorite one of my first favorite players as a kid. Also, big fan of Ken Griffey Jr. Everybody imitated that batting stance. Fun guy. Loved it. Gary Sheffield, big fan. And then we've got Mitch Earnshaw asking if I could rename Atlanta's and Cleveland's men's professional baseball time teams. Thank you for saying that. What would I name them and why? I have actually talked about this before, but happy to go back into it. Um, I think Cleveland... I've, I, I wish the Rockies didn't exist because Cleveland Rocks would be so great. But mine is the Clevelanders because then you wouldn't, you, they'd just be the Clevelanders. And then Atlanta, I would change to Brave and use like a firefighter scheme. That's that's my choice. That's what I like because you could just change the tomahawk to, um, you know, like a fireman's axe and it'd be super easy. Real easy. I like it when things are easy. And because I mentioned that I was going to be reviewing root beers this season, a lot of people sent me some, uh, and also I asked you for local uh, root beers. So here are all the local root beers that people suggested. Uh, Maria, with a bunch of numbers after her name, says Spectre Root Beer from Milwaukee. I have access to that one. Robble Rouser says Killebrew Root Beer from Minneapolis. Mr. Sean 86, Dog and Suds Root Beer, Chicago slash Midwest. Uh, so we... Went home, says Big E Ales House Root Beer from Seattle. And Brittany L. Paxman says Lazarus Brewing House Root Beer from Austin, Texas. I cannot wait to give all of those a shot. And my first root beer of the season was a dad's bottled root beer, which is a throwback to my first favorite root beer. If you don't count A&W. But it was nice to drink it. it. No corn syrup, so that was good. And... It wasn't as good as I remember it, which I think is always the case for things you liked as a kid, which is why I don't really drink Mountain Dew anymore because I feel like I'm going to really hate it and then I'm going to really question my entire life. But I do like the logo design. I think the colors are great. It's a great color scheme. Red, blue, and yellow. So good. I also like how it has. Uh, it looks like an electrician's kind of a thing. Um, and also just like the name dad's root beer. Come on. It's perfect. It's perfect for me also. So yeah, that was a good one. If I got to give it a rating, let's figure out a rating of, uh, you know, five watching Raiders of the Lost Ark by yourself and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos out of that. I would give it, I would give it three, a solid three. 
So give dads a shot, especially if it's in the bottle. And just wanted to let you all know, if you don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram, that's fine. But you will have already known this. But if you didn't, you don't. So I'm telling you now. Three Swings finally has some merch. And that's up on our T Public store, which is tpublic.com slash stores slash three dash swings. And you can get t-shirts, baseball tees, sweatshirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and more. Notebooks and all kinds of stuff. Phone cases, all there. So please support the show. Uh, support your love of the show by buying something from there. I would really appreciate it. I already wore my hoodie. I've been using my mug and my notebook uh, is for my gratitude list. So it's all wonderful shit. And I would love to see if you do buy something, your photos of that stuff. It makes me very happy and I really appreciate it because thank you so much for listening and supporting this show. It's just a fun thing that I do because I love this goddamn sport. So uh, anyway, if you love this goddamn sport and you're like me, please buy some of this stuff. Um, I'm going to get a Patreon up and going pretty soon. Um, but yes, please. I, I love you all very much. I appreciate your listening. Please tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, all kinds of stuff. Check that out. Uh, follow us on Twitter at three swings pod at forever dog, at, uh, prod, I think at Rhea butcher. That's R H E A B U T C H E R. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever. Dog. This has been a forever dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio and Alex Ramsey engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>